0: Hey guys, welcome back to The First Step. I'm really happy to have Greg Zvitnu joining me today. He's a super creative soul that I met through yoga. And even when we started to discuss um, doing a podcast together, I asked him if he wanted to be on my podcast and his creative spirit said yes of course but let's do something different and he suggested that i um he interviews me for the podcast so i thought that was pretty cool and just gives you a quick insight into his creative nature so basically, I'm going to hand the mic over to Greg to interview me for the first 30 minutes. And then I will, for the last 30 minutes, interview Greg and hope to pull out some um, creative insights for listeners to share. So welcome to the show, Greg. I'm going to hand it over to you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. So yeah, I've been a student of yours, I guess, for about three or four years now. And um, yeah, I've learned a lot from you. And I've appreciated all the stuff that you've like inspired me to to do with yoga i guess it's been about four years now so far
0: yeah i don't know time goes so weird but definitely i would say at least that yeah
1: (laughs) so yeah like i've always kind of wanted to know a little bit about your background like how you got into this whole yoga situation and like some of the stuff from your past like when you were young cool so yeah, I want to ask you about like uh, where were you born?
0: Well, I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, and I grew up in a suburb just outside in Sherwood Park. Oh yes. Uh huh.
1: And so you went to all your school in one one school, like?
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, I guess we had an elementary. And then, you know, it kind of extended up into grade nine. And then high school was, I think, I guess, grade 10 to grade 12, but all in Sherwood Park. Yeah.
1: And then I went. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. And then I went to um, university, to the U of A for uh, three years. And then I finished um, one semester in um, UBC. And that's kind of when I set off out into the world, traveling and yeah.
1: So growing up, like, did you uh, know about your heritage very much?
0: No, you know, interesting question. I've pondered this a lot because it is so strange, right? Not to know really where we came from. I mean, I knew that on my dad's side, his parents were from, well, they were born in Canada, but their um, heritage was from the Ukraine. And we would have, you know, we would see my grandparents maybe once or twice a year and usually at Christmas and we would have this big Ukrainian Christmas. But on my mom's side, she was adopted when she was about 13 and her, so her biological parents were from, you know, kind of split, I guess, between Hungary and Poland. So it's like this huge mix of, I guess, Eastern European um, heritage. But the truth is, we never really knew anything about too much about their past. And, you know, because then my mom, um, you know, had her adoptive parents, yeah, there just wasn't much talk, I don't think about the past.
1: So uh, your, your mother was adopted?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, um, a complex story, but um, her mother had passed away when she was quite young. I think she was about nine or even maybe seven, somewhere in there when her mom passed away. And then they lived on this farm in uh, Manitoba with the father who was an alcoholic and had four young daughters. And I guess it was about two years later that their farm burnt down. And so the girls ended up kind of going to live around different farms. And actually her two older sisters ended up going east. Um, and my mom started living with this other couple.
1: Well, that's quite, quite an interesting background for her. Mm-hmm. What, what, so what was her nationality?
0: Well, her birth mother and father's families were divided between, yeah, Polish and Hungarian. And, and I'm not entirely sure of the, you yeah. know, the, what, before that, what, 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 what the story is.
1: So how did they meet?
0: My mom and dad? Yes. Well, that's quite a story, too. My mom and dad, actually, I have a picture of my mom and dad in grade two in the same little, um, you know, farm yard school. So sweet. Grade two. They knew each other and they went through school in small town, Manitoba, and they started dating, I think, in their 20s. And they've been together ever since.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Crazy, right?
1: Well, yeah like childhood sweethearts kind of thing yeah they grew up they grew up together and they just gradually developed a relationship with each other
0: yeah well they joke that it was my mom's like my grandma my mom's adoptive mom that like arranged their (laughs) (laughs) their relationship but I don't think that's true yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah, because my ancestry came from Russia also okay but But my dad had to claim that he was Ukrainian because Russia was the enemy back in the Cold War. Right. So yeah, he always had to say that he was Ukrainian because my ancestors did come from Russia into Ukraine at some point. Yeah. But yeah, it was like verboten at that time to say that you were from Russia.
0: You could be a spy.
1: Well, my dad was investigated as a spy. in london london ontario (laughs) because he he was born on the prairies and he grew up like following the ccf uh, which was the precursor to the ndp okay but they thought it was like the canadian communist federation (laughs) instead of the canadian commonwealth federation wow (laughs) i know but the other thing with Sawchuk, like um when I was growing up, Terry Sochak was a goalie mm-hmm. for Toronto and previously from Detroit.
2: Mm-hmm. He,
1: he was my hero because I played a lot of hockey. And uh, yeah, Terry Sochak was my main uh, like guy for hockey. Oh, that's him.
0: awesome. Well, I know fun. my my dad does say that there is some relation, but it's really distant. I know I have like a whole ancestral book. Um, that he's kind of put together that describes the relationship, but it's quite removed, you know, so, but yeah, he was a huge hockey star, right? And and I've seen pictures of him and his face is all like, it looks like a Halloween, you know, Frankenstein with all the stitches and scars and, you yeah, know, they,
1: they, didn't, they didn't wear a mask back then. Yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah my dad tells me when him and his brothers would go to the rink in their little town in manitoba when they were growing up that they actually had the permission to go as like a group of kids and go and like open up the rink, turn on the lights and go and have this little scrimmage or whatever it was called and they would put magazines over their shins with elastics for their uh, shin guards yeah, i know what you're <laughs> no protection
1: yeah I grew up in those hockey days too as a as a child on the uh on the rinks in Saskatchewan
0: yeah
1: oh yeah it was cold in there like they they didn't have any insulation they just had a roof over them or maybe no roof sometimes we just played outdoors
2: yeah
1: but yeah it was pretty cold back then going to all the different farming towns and playing against all these farm kids that were really tough
0: So do you, I know this is your time to ask me questions, but I can't help myself. So do you know a lot about your history? Like, do you, would your parents talk a lot about their parents or even further back than that?
1: Oh, yeah, they wrote it all down. Also, the history going back many generations. Mm -hmm. My mother's side is from Czech Republic. And also there, too, there's a long history of uh, documentation going back. Yeah, so it's quite interesting for me too. Like I went to Czech Republic a couple of years ago and just felt at home there too, like meeting the people. And I just felt like I should be there.
0: So how do you imagine, why do you imagine that most of these people, what were their situation? Like I sometimes wonder, I know we kind of have these, you know, these ancestral trees drawn up for us to help us understand who is who and who came from where, but And maybe it was different in your family, but I have talked to like a number of people, you know, in in our generation that although we know names or places, it does seem like there was this loss of culture or tradition for the most part. And that, you know, I, I guess my question is like, do you have some sense of, was there a common theme, do you think, for these people who were coming over to Canada? Um, when it was being colonized in the sense of they were leaving something they wanted to forget or they were leaving a place they couldn't talk about or do you know what I mean?
1: We well, yeah, a big part of it was the incentive for free land in a new country because back then it was all uh, hereditary like your farmland was passed down from one generation to the next but it got d- divided up into smaller and smaller pieces over time till eventually that the young people couldn't work their farms anymore. They said, oh, there's free land in Canada. You can get a square mile of land for like $20 or whatever it was back then.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and so they didn't know what they were getting into. They just set off for the new world. They thought, oh, yeah, this is like a good opportunity. But when they got there, they found it was something quite different. <clears throat> Because in European countries back then, the village was the center of the farmland and all the people had sort of pie-shaped wedges all around the town, around the village. So they had a very small parcel of land, but they were with their neighbors and their family the whole time. When my grandparents came to Canada, they got this one square mile of prairie land, but their nearest neighbor was at least a mile away and probably (laughs) farther. And so they thought, what are we doing here? Like we have to like built right from scratch. And it was pretty tough going, I guess, for, for a lot of them.
0: Hmm. That makes um, that brings a lot of insight actually, Greg, like, wow, just to imagine. Yeah. They're coming over, hoping for whatever reason, I'm sure for various reasons for, from different countries, but coming to look for a better life and then landing and realizing yeah, that disconnect from family and support and community and really starting from scratch.
1: Yeah. And like when they when they were in their village in Europe, they'd all go back to their house for lunch because their land was right outside their door, essentially. And they'd all meet up in the evenings. They, they made wine in the Buddhas, they called them. Mm-hmm. And it was very social and everyone helped each other when they got to the prairies, it was pretty much everyone for themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. And they still, didn't... when you say that that's our culture, I mean, and then talk about this new time of COVID, it's just even, you know, we've we have like these deep patterns of isolation, right? Maybe that's what's playing out, these deep, you know, that's tough and humans are social, so, hmm.
1: But it was pretty nice back then really for the, for the farmers <clears throat> because they learned to be very self-sufficient. They grew all their own food. They had a few animals. You know, they, they had all their supplies that they needed, you know, like wood for the fire and mm-hmm. the stoves. And, yeah, like <clears throat> my grandfather used to go into town and he only bought like three or four things, but tobacco, coffee, and sugar. That's pretty much all the stuff that he could not grow in his land. Wow. So, so they actually ate very healthy. They lived very well. But it was a tough life, though. But they got together socially at the, at the local hall. Like every community had the, the town hall
2: mm-hmm.
1: where they had dances and all that kind of stuff. And, and they got to meet other people from their, their like Europe, Europeans out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but yeah, culture is interesting. I mean, we've only gone like two or three generations from those days. And it's, it's all changed very dramatically like the prairies there is no small farmers anymore it's all been bought up by large corporations mm-hmm. and a lot from uh, china also china's been buying up a lot of the land on the prairies so oh, wow you know so those days are kind of gone but it's too bad because like self-sufficiency is a very important thing right now in this world and young people can't afford to get back into that kind of lifestyle again but anyways, back to you, like uh, the other Slotchuk I know is uh, George Slotchuk from uh, Fanny Bay. Oh, yeah. He made, he made the, the art forest. Oh, I don't know him. Wacky, wacky Woods.
0: Oh, I don't know that.
1: He was an eccentric guy that built all this uh, sculptural stuff out in his woods. Huh. Like he, he, he hid all this like artwork out in the, in the forest georgeslaw check in day. fanny
0: bay he, he did this out in fanny bay
1: yeah
0: oh cool i'm gonna to have to go check that out
1: so anyways like when you were growing up like uh did you have a good childhood do you feel
0: i did yes i can't complain about my childhood no i would consider it to be um privileged for sure
1: yeah because i grew up in all different towns all through my childhood I went to like probably seven or eight different schools yeah, from grade one to grade 12, different provinces, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario. So yeah, I grew up with all kinds of different situations that I saw and I never really fit in, but I also was not like ostracized or, you know, bullied or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like the other kids were growing up. Like when people grow up together in one school over a long period of time, it develops a whole social network. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some kid, some kids make little groups, mm-hmm. and the other kids are sort of ostracized from that. So I never had to endure any of that stuff.
0: So mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I don't know if you did in Edmonton.
0: Um, I mean, are you asking, did we had? I definitely observed that same phenomenon of like, yeah, social structure within the public schools, right. Where there's these cliques or subgroups or certain, you know, the alpha males, and then, you know, the more obedient or, you know, maybe more intel intellectual crowd, um, But yeah, and I personally, I floated around a lot between all those groups. I would say, even though I was one of those kids that had a steady um, childhood in the sense of not moving anywhere, um, I, yeah, I related to all kinds of people. So I was unique in that way. I don't think I either also really fit into any one of those groups and I never... I was also never bullied that I can remember. I just kind of, I liked everybody. I found all all those different groups interesting, you know, and I just liked people who were nice. And I thought there were kind of nice people in each of those crowds and people who were jerks, you know, which, yeah. And I was always kind of, I think I always said what I thought. So I don't know. People knew what they were getting from me. And I don't know. I don't know what that means,
1: but. Yeah. It just meant that like growing up, like a lot of times, once people get into a situation, like in an early age, they can't get out of that group mm-hmm. because they have been kind of, you know, pigeonholed or mm-hmm. stigmatized. But I was always lucky. I just dropped into these situations and then I was gone in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And and no one knew what to think about me. So I didn't have to fit in. I didn't have to like find a group to to associate with.
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't
1: have to have any enemies. Like there's a lot of racism growing up when I went through different schools. And like I always was attracted to native culture too. Mm-hmm. So I was always friends with like the native kids wherever I went. And my other white friend said, no, you can't associate with them. And I said, no, I don't, I don't have to like fit in with any group I just like go along
2: mm-hmm.
1: with with who I like you know the different kids that I liked
0: yeah <laughs> so I was anyway, a, go ahead yeah I think I was the same and that I I didn't feel discriminatory to any group or culture or class you know I just found people interesting in general
1: yeah so did you travel much as a kid did you go to other places, other countries or
0: um not necessarily to other countries. I mean we did travel the states, but we were, you know, picture growing up in the 70s and 80s, you know, with a, I would say an upper middle class, white suburban family, you know, with a motorhome and skis and camping gear. And, you know, my dad liked to fish. And we'd go on trips, but it was like road trips, you know? Yeah. And then we would also, of course, go and visit my, we were in um, Alberta and we would go and visit my grandparents in Manitoba quite often. Um, And, you know, I guess the biggest kind of trip would be like to Disneyland, which I barely remember because I was quite young. Um, But no, I didn't really start to travel like outside of North America until I was on my own.
1: So you went to university at that point after high school?
0: I did, yeah, I kind of zipped through it and I graduated by the time I was 21 and I was traveling even in some of those summers of university. I had caught the bug before I graduated from university.
1: So what were you studying at university?
0: Um, I went into initially um, an arts degree with a psychology major and then I think I realized early on i didn't want to do like 8 years of university or whatever it was going to take to get a psychology degree and then in my first year i also remember taking a english course and my professor telling me i should go into honors english cuz i think i always had kind of a knack for words or writing or expression in that form and then i he kind of was the one that i was like hmm, maybe i do like english like writing And I thought I also wanted to get a job, a proper job with whatever degree I was going to get. And I also was thinking, I don't want to get a degree that's going to cost me eight years. So I went into, I ended up transferring into education with an English major for the last three years and graduated with an education degree. Nice. Mm -hmm.
1: And so that led you to Mexico.
0: Yeah, exactly. So
1: Teaching degree.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, the, and I, st- I was teaching the International Baccalaureate English program at a fancy dancy um, private school in Mexico. Yeah.
1: And so that's where you met your husband, too.
0: That's right. And then on um, Christmas vacation from that one year contract teaching, I kind of took my finger on a map to figure out where I wanted to go for holidays. And yeah, ended up picking Tulum near Cancun there. And Danny and I had this crazy cosmic karmic destiny to find each other. I'm sure. I mean, that's a long story in and of itself, but yeah, when we met, we knew we were in love. It was like, we had no choice. And then, um, after that, you're teaching well you know that story I know that you maybe we're going to lead up to that a little bit um when you know we were on this big road trip um before actually after my um contract was up he took me on this big road trip through Mexico in June before I was coming home to Canada and we flew off a mountain and as we were falling through the (laughs) space, what was going through my mind was, am I happy? Am I doing what I love? And the answer was kind of yes and no, but I knew that I wanted to follow this path of yoga and meditation. So that led me to, instead of, I think what would have happened had that crash not happened as I probably would have continued to teach in a school. Um, But I ended up going to India instead and learning about yoga, more about yoga.
1: So where was your first introduction to yoga? Like before that, before India?
0: Well, you know, my mom was doing yoga in the seventies with this amazing woman, Gerda Krebs in her home, you know, really old school, but really like beautiful traditional kind of yoga. And I would go to those classes as a small child, I think because my mom probably, you know, maybe my dad was working and I was too young to stay home alone and she'd just toss me in the car. And, you know, I think for the most part, I'd end up falling asleep in those classes. And I remember, yeah, her lifting me, you know, kind of in those days, you could just throw your kid in the back of the car and drive home. Um, without seatbelts and all of that. But yeah, I think the seed of yoga was probably planted then with my mom in those classes. And I was probably like five at the time. And then I know, you know, once we got a little bit older, my mom went back to work and stopped doing yoga. And then my dad was the one who got us both back into it when I was about, I don't know if I was like 18 or 19. And he bought my mom and I a six week course of yoga, like our community Um, center and then I knew this was before I went to Mexico but it was at that time I started doing my own practice and in my travels like I had been to um, Thailand before that I guess and I remember getting a book on you know just things about mind body and developing more connection to my own practice but yeah when I when I was in midair asking myself that question, I guess it was clear to me that I wanted to pursue more study and education in that direction, and you know, step away from the public education system.
1: Yeah, so there must have been a traumatic experience going through the car crash. <laughs>
0: well you know when you're young right like I don't I think back to all the things that I was doing then at that time and it all seems crazy right like it's just you wonder how you survive that time of your life but I didn't you know I I felt so grateful for the realization like it actually felt maybe it was traumatic but it felt like to me like a near-death experience that really woke up inside of me the desire to live you know like a lot of fear dropped away from it because I think at one moment yeah I probably felt like oh yeah I'm gonna die like right for sure dead um, and we didn't so it kind of felt like a new lease on life and like I didn't want to mess around or waste any time
1: and then you went to India from there yeah that. so yeah. How, did, how did you choose to go to India like what was the, how'd you pick that location?
0: Well, because um, yoga you know, originated from India and there, I, I knew enough about yoga that I thought I would find masters there. Um, so yeah, I was looking for more insight on yoga and meditation, but actually I have another really interesting story for you in that regard, if you wanna hear it. Yes. Okay, but then it'll almost be my time to interview you, just FYI.
1: <laughs> you don't need to interview you don't need to interview me. I'll just keep going with you. <laughs> That's very fascinating to me. Like, let's keep let keep going.
0: Okay, well we'll see. So yeah, so when I did, I um I guess I did leave Mexico and go back to Canada and I worked serving at a bar or probably more than one job that summer to earn enough money to go to India. And when I set off, I had planned to go for six months and got on the plane and sat down beside a man who eventually his brother came over and said, like, can we switch places? It seems as though you're traveling alone. And I thought, yeah, I don't care who I sit beside. I was traveling alone and they wanted to sit together. So I ended up switching seats and sitting beside this other gentleman who asked me why I was going to India, and he was Indian, and I said I was going to learn more about yoga and meditation, and he said, so why are you going to India, and I thought this was kind of a strange inquiry, because I thought he would understand what I was saying about going to learn more about yoga and meditation in India. And then he pulled out a book from this Indian philosopher, Krishnamurti. And he said, you don't need to go anywhere to, to find what you're looking for and suggested that I read this book, like on the way on the plane. And I thought this was kind of an interesting start to this journey and did, had a really good feeling about this guy and this interaction and ended up reading just a very tiny book. And if you don't know anything about Krishnamurti, he didn't actually write these books, but he would give talks and people would you know, transcribe these kind of talks that he would give and in that book, it basically, I basically understood what Krishnamurti was saying was that, yeah, this path of yoga or meditation is essentially a trip inside, right? And it has to be an individual journey. And one can only do that by doing it. You can't talk about it. Nobody can teach it to you. You can't think about it. You just have to go inside. And so, by the time I got off the plane in Delhi, I think I was already in a, a different state of mind than when I had set out. And I had, as always, again, I felt like this for most of my life been guided in this really, you know, blessed way to, you know, to take the next step in the right direction. And so, yeah, I, I didn't set out on the journey in in. India the way I assumed I guess when I first set out because then I just wanted to go inside so a large part of my time in India was just doing practice I did study I did I did meet teachers and take classes and um, you know I did sit through meditation retreats and such but I definitely had a deep impression that my work was... Inside and not to, you know, I think that book and that gentleman helped me avoid wasting too much time in like this whole guru worship, somebody can do something for you mentality.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting how these things have been sort of synchronicities or coincidence, like in your life. These different events you've mentioned so far have all kind of led you on this path to find out some other kind of enlightenment, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself enlightened, but I do feel very blessed in that, you know, there seems to be some guidance from within or from without from somewhere that is steering me towards, you know, these ancient teachings or this, you know, maybe it's just inner insight or wisdom or, um, but I would consider myself very blessed in the teachers that have come my way or, you know, that have appeared because yeah, I think it's easy to get lost in rituals or, you know, this false chasing spirituality.
1: We have, there's so many different uh, philosophies or, you know, different kinds of religious ideas, spiritual paths. Yeah. It's hard to pick the right one, I think, for everyone. You know, there's some, it's like such a variety of things that we can pursue. And we have to find the ones that work best for our own nature, I think, too.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that seems like a good segue to me, Greg.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want to keep going.
0: to transition. Well, listen, if we want to do this again, I'm open to that, but, you know, I think it's because I, when we, when I do these podcasts, my hope is that if anybody does listen, not that I, um, you know, I do this podcast as a creative expression for myself and to give other people a voice and platform. But in general, I like to put the intention out there that if whatever we communicate is heard by another soul that somehow it's inspiration towards living a healthier, more um, well life. Right. I always feel like these conversations end up happening again, in that kind of synchronistic way where somebody will hear something that inspires them to do something that, you know, brings more light or love. So what I thought, you know, when I, considered, well, what am I going to ask Greg? You know, as I mentioned in the introduction, like what always stood out to me about you was this connection to your creative spirit, because, and I hate making generalizations about Canadians or any other group of people, but in general, at least in my upbringing and in my life, that seemed, our culture seems to be kind of void, right? We're kind of coming back around to that little um discussion of culture, but it seemed maybe and because our ancestors had to work so hard, they didn't have time to paint or but yeah you're talking about you know I think they would come together and dance and sing maybe so I don't know maybe it was just a time but anyways when I met you you seemed to be unique in that you were I think in the first couple times that we ever met we met through you coming to yoga but you gifted me a book I think a a movie, maybe a painting, a collage, you know, you had all this create, creative abundance apparently in your life. And, and around that same time, I was also just starting to discover a little bit of my own creative nature, but it was like totally foreign to me. And I think I was looking at you going like, wow, this guy, he's already got this going on, you know, and it was, it was exciting for me to see on somebody else the totally liberated sense of creativity, because I was just starting um, to find it. So, so I thought maybe we, you know, I could ask you some questions about creativity, because I would consider that as kind of one of your, I don't know, I don't know if you say you've mastered creativity, but you definitely, would you say you live in a creative space? or you creativity is at the forefront of your life? I mean, how would you describe your relationship to that part of you?
1: Well, I'm not sure because um, I've always been kind of on the fringe with everything I've done. I've I've made books and movies and animation and drawings and paintings and collage and all that stuff. But I always find that I'm still kind of on the fringe of what uh, most people are doing with their artwork. And I've found very few people to collaborate with over the years, so I just kind of go on my own. I, I have all these different things I like to produce. And if I have the vision to do it, I'd like to to see it through. So,
0: But what do you think, um, like, did you always have this creative impulse? And even, like, from the very beginning, as far back as you can remember, were you always creating things and expressing yourself artistically? Or did did this happen, like, in adolescence or early adulthood? Or was this always a part of your life?
1: Oh, yeah. Like... When I was a child, before I went to school, I was very creative. I always drew all the time. I ma- even made books, like little children's books. Like, As soon as I got to school, they drummed that out of me. They said, no, 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 you can't do this. You're, <laughs> was- you're wasting your time. You're wasting our time. You're a dreamer. Concentrate on doing your schoolwork. You can need improvement. So all through school, they drummed that out of me. And I didn't really realize until I was an adolescent, I guess, that I could do, be creative, and I could do all, all these different things. <clears throat> yeah, because they, they even sent me down the wrong path for education, too, after high school. They said, oh, you have to be an engineer. And I said, what's that? And I said, oh, yeah, you'll find out when you get to university. And I didn't know, and I never made it. Then Who made won. that
0: decision when you say they, they steered you? Oh, in my,
1: the- my guidance counselor from high <sighs> school. Who turns out to be a famous artist on Vancouver Island now? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't tell me that you could do like creative work because, um yeah, I used to make all I used to we had a videotape like in the 70s when I went to high school. We had a black and white camera with a one inch videotape, like reel to reel, like very primitive technology. But I used to make all these videos at high school. And instead of going to English class, I could present my video to the class that mm-hmm. eventually it was to other classes. And then eventually it was almost like for the whole school, they'd watch these little videos I made.
0: That's cool.
1: But, but I didn't know that you could do that as a job or a living. No one said that. They said, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to do some other kind of thing. So... Later, later on in the seventies, I went to Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. I studied filmmaking there. And that finally gave me an idea that it's a, like, I, I was exposed to so much. <clears throat> Because I grew up in isolation in Northern Manitoba. I went to a residential school, like a native residential school, like a white guy. But it wasn't run by the Catholic Church. It was run by the government. So it was a whole different atmosphere. But still, like we were very isolated from anything. We only had one TV channel at the best of times. No internet, of course, and no other source of of ideas about what's happening in the creative world. So when I went to Calgary, it was a whole eye-opening experience. You know, watching all the videos, all the films that have been made in the world and, you know, learning that you can make them yourself, like on the sound studio or the, you know, we had film cameras, we could do whatever we want. So yeah, that, that was a big turning point in my life. And then since then, I've been mostly working independently on every project that I do.
0: And so were your parents supportive of that path when you discovered and realized you could live as an artist?
1: No, not the least. Like for, for 30 or 40 years, they just did not like me doing this. You know, they always said, oh, you're not making any money. You're not getting famous. You're not doing all this stuff. It took a long time. It actually took until recently when my, before my father passed away that he finally kind of forgave me. He said something to the fact that um, like, he has all these re- regrets in his life about all the different things he wish he would have done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He finally acknowledged, like, yeah, you did all the things you wanted to do. You made books, movies, all the different things. Sure, you didn't become famous or rich, but I was enriched by the whole experience to start with. So, I mean, I'm
2: mm-hmm.
1: very, very satisfied with all the different things I've done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So would you say that that choice of career has um, also put you in a situation of, I don't know if it's forcing you to live simple, simply, but there's this commitment to your creativity, which kind of, you know, also requires you not to maybe be driven by um, ambition or profit. And so maybe inherently you end up living more simply Um, I guess, one, would you say that's true? And um, two, from living simply, whether it was, you know, your choice or by nature of your choice, what do you think living simply has given you?
1: Well, I think everything that I've ever wanted has been given to me through my own efforts. Like I, I always find that every project I worked on, I always had people come along and help me just when I needed it the most. And, you know, it's simple, but it's also like fortuitous or like synchronicity, like you were saying about mm-hmm. your, trip, your trips with yoga. Mm-hmm. Like these things come to you if you just pursue them, you just go ahead and do them. And it seems like the odds are against you the whole time like at the start, but once you go, it just, everything falls into place. And, you know, these things come around to help you out. I always find Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, I've always been able to do my projects. I've never had to like, never been stuck with finances or with uh, motivation or help. You know, anything I've done, I've always had people around me and, and everyone's been kind of impressed by these different things I've done. And I am too. So it makes me feel proud that I've done what I do and I can keep going.
2: Yeah. To, yeah. to a
1: certain extent. I mean, things are, with the uh, pandemic, though, aren't, aren't helping right now. That's been the biggest problem with me right now is like being unable to travel to, I want to go to Europe back again and different things. So those, those are more limiting than anything else I've ever gone through in my life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know such a strange time we're so lucky we have our yoga so that was the kind of main you know the other question I wanted to ask you is um, why did why were you looking for yoga and um, how you keep doing it it must be helping and, and how does it help yeah. you or, or what are the benefits that you feel
1: well you've helped me so much Jill Like I've did, like, like I've been kind of isolated in my village here and I don't really have any contact with people in person so much, and um, just being able to go to your studio to work with you in person it's helped me so much to like keep calm, to just be sort of mentally stable, and just like uh, exercise my body and you know do all the different things that you've taught me.
0: Is that why you were looking for yoga? Where was for some kind of inner calm or um, stress release? Is that what was what was driving you to look for yoga?
1: Well, it happened by meeting Tracy. Yeah, you know, Tracy. I kind of met up with her by accident, and we were talking quite a bit. And uh, I never really thought about yoga before I met her. Or, like I've heard of it, and I thought about it, and, was really compelling to me and I was actually intimidated because I'm getting older now like if you start yoga when you're you're 60 you always think oh yeah there's so much to it like there's all these poses and all the different things you have to do and so I thought you know I asked Tracy who I, who is, I should go and see and she mentioned you and the very first thing you said to me is like um, if you've never studied yoga before you don't have anything to unlearn yeah that that was a big turning point for me too. like, because I had all these preconceived ideas, you have to do all this stuff. <laughs> and she said, and you said, well, like, if, if you don't know anything about yoga, you're actually like in the best place to start.
0: Yeah, and you're that, ahead of the was, game.
1: Yeah, that was so encouraging for me, too. So that was awesome.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So why do you think, how do you think this works? I mean, I, we're just looking for words to help other people understand, right? Like if, if somebody's listening and they think like, yeah, I want to try yoga, but I'm intimidated and I don't know if it will work or how will it work? Like, you know, if you wanted to help somebody understand why, how, what is the benefit? Cause it is kind of unbelievable, right? Or indescribable in that like So you get on your mat and, you know, you move your arms like this or you move your body like that, or you, you know, you become conscious of your breath or you let go of some, some tension. And then, yeah, there's all these benefits that trickle into our being, right? Like it's not just when we're on the mat while we're doing those things, but we find, I think um, we become more conscious of our I guess we get more clear right about, okay, this is our physical body. Okay. These are our thoughts. These are our emotions. This is our breath. This is the here and the now we're thinking about the past or we're thinking about the future. Maybe we just become more conscious in general, but is there something you could add to that? Like, how do you think yoga works? Why, how is it benefiting us? And, and maybe there's like some, you know, real life example, tangible that you could um, tell us where you can see there's benefit.
1: Well, like I say, I've never taken a yoga class with anyone but you. So I don't know. I have nothing to compare it to. All I know is like what you've done with me and, and helped me so much. Like I can't I can't compare it to like what another person would teach or what, what they would do. But I what is it teach. given
0: to you? Like what do you what do you feel like you take away from it? How does it how does it benefit you?
1: Well, luckily for me, like I'm physically pretty good. I don't really have too many complaints, you know, with different problems. But um, yeah, my main issue is mentally. Because like I say, I live in an isolated community here.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and um, it, it's always inside my own thoughts. Like the work, the work I do, like the creative work, I really enjoy. And I do get some feedback from the outside world, but I don't really have any connection with with other people with my friends like my friends are my camping buddies we always go camping and out in nature but the things I deal with with my own thoughts and with the situation I'm in looking after my mother and and this kind of thing I don't really have any chance to find a way to to meditate or like active active kind of meditation (laughs) so so for me just being able to have a place where, I, like, if I'm on my own, I don't practice as much. You know, it's nice with you for an hour or so, because then I'm kind of forced into it. Like, <laughs> not forced into it, but it allows me to to dedicate like a full time approach to uh, to moving different parts of my body and you know stretching, and which in turn help, helps my brain. My thinking process a lot mm-hmm. so it helps me to keep calm and to 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 even just socialize with other people per, like a little bit per week
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah what i'm hearing you say just to reflect back again so that to maybe help other people understand what this practice does as i listen to you describe how it benefits you i think yeah, you know, we do get caught in our thoughts, right? Whether we're isolated because of where we live or because of the current situation globally or for whatever the reason. And even if we're not socially isolated, I think, you know, just in general, our culture for some time, even, you know, again, back around to the story of, you know, the, the history of Canada, the, you know, initial isolation, right? I think we have a long history, you know, recent history where we are caught in our minds, right? We're not as collectively collaborating, community oriented. And I think it has increased our, the the challenge to our mental health, because I think we do spend too much time alone, probably thinking. And I think what yoga helps us to reconnect to is the physical body, which I think again, in, in modern day culture has become so comfortable. Like, you know, we don't do a lot of physical work. We're not like out in the fields or, you know, chopping wood or, you know, so we have to kind of carve out this time and space where we connect to our body. And in that connection to our body, I think what we end up doing is, is, yeah kind of softening that the noise of the thoughts which make us feel kind of crazy right because they're constant they're jumping from this to that and I you know I would like to add to that like yoga doesn't make your thoughts go away but I think a, a mindfulness practice you know where you're doing something that connects mind and body helps us remember we're not only our mind we're not only these thoughts because they can become so much at the forefront i think it's a yoga gives us this way to kind of pull back and go oh yeah there's the thoughts but there's also the body and there's the thoughts and there's also the breath and then we end up you know connecting more into the moment and less you know kind of scurrying about in our mind well cool i think we should wrap things up because people get bored and Attention spans wear out, but um, maybe to wrap things up, is there anything that you would want to say to somebody who's considering either to investigate practice yoga or maybe that they are intrigued also to explore their creative artistic side? Would you have any advice in either one of those?
1: Yeah, I want to mention something about collage too. Yeah, because uh, collage is a very like useful thing to anyone that's creative often people get like writer's block or like they look at the blank sheet and they don't know what to do i i've really become connected with this whole international community of collage artists from around the world i'm so grateful for that and i get get to contribute in through instagram to that too <clears throat> the thing i find is that it's become a lot more widespread now too because of people can be see what other people have done and sort of work like sort of imitate that style or find their own and do different things and I think like it's helped me so much I used to write novels let's say and I'd spend like you know 12 hours a day day after day after day writing but I found that almost every day I when I start I'd make a little collage to start with and it freed up my my mind to kind of okay, I've accomplished something. I made a little idea. Okay, now I can sit at a table and and type for like 12 hours, which is very long and painful because, you know, you're mostly just sitting there thinking For and then every like half hour or so you type on the keys for a while. (laughs) But I think collage is a a beneficial thing for everyone to try and explore because you can do it very simply. All you need is a magazine, a pair of scissors and some glue. Mm
2: -hmm. And, And...
1: And once you start playing around with it, it becomes pretty intriguing because it opens up all these subconscious kind of ideas for people. And it kind of frees you up from having to draw all this stuff.
0: (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You cut,
1: cut out a face from a magazine, it would take you like hours to draw that. And then you'd keep erasing it and do all this stuff. But if you glue a face onto something else, onto this and that, all of a sudden you have this intriguing work of art that all of a sudden... Like I like to work subconsciously, like I don't start off with an idea. I just start gluing stuff down and see where it goes I
2: love it's very it. It,
1: It's very intriguing afterwards you look at it, and all of a sudden it, it has deeper meaning, like almost like a dream mm. if, if, you, if you've had a dream and you kind of remember some fragments of it, it kind of comes through in this this collage artwork. work and <clears throat> I'm so grateful to meet all these people on Instagram because. My original idea, like I've been making collages for many years, but my original idea was I want to find at least ten people around the world that make really cool collages. I want to make a documentary with them before the pandemic happened. That was my plan. Some funding and go to fly around the world to meet these people and do like a little short excerpt about them, who they are, and and show some of the technique that they work on. So I mean. That's still in the back of my, my mind about doing that. But in the meantime, I just found so many cool artists around the world that inspire me, too. <clears throat> like, I kind of always work differently than most people do, too. Like, I find that my stuff is, is still exceptional, like, compared to what's happening around the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Like for
1: some reason, I always make really crazy stuff that no one else will do. And I also keep changing my style just to... Uh, you know challenge myself about what I'm making like a lot of people that make collages they follow a certain style that they work on every time and I can tell right away whose collage that is mm-hmm. but with mine I always keep changing it up and try something like with whatever I have at hand for material you know just paste it up and see how it goes
0: that's cool. That's super cool. I love that idea for everybody. I'm going to challenge anybody who listens to that to grab a magazine from somewhere and, and just go about. So do you tear? Do you cut? I'm
1: more of a terror terrorist.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, the other thing we used to do, like I, I was involved with correspondence art back in the day, that we'd mail stuff to each other physically through the mail. And whoever was hosting a show would put it up in a local gallery. You know, there would be a theme. They'd put out a call to all the people that were in correspondence network. You know, say Mona Lisa was one. That was the theme. And so everyone sends it in, in a Mona Lisa kind of work. Someone would exhibit the artwork in their town and then send out a catalog to you. In exchange, they'd keep your artwork. They'd send you a catalog of all the participants with their with their mail. Um, address so then you'd organize a show and then you'd invite all these people from that list it was very intriguing because you'd actually get a physical piece of artwork in the mail the other fun thing with collages if you do it as a group of people that was another thing we used to do in Vancouver you know we get eight or nine people together around a big table a bunch of magazines and everyone would start making collages and then people would look over at the other person and say, hey, can I use that piece? It'll fit on to what I'm working with. And it's kind of a fun group activity that you could just do in one night and everyone a- ends up with a piece of artwork where you exchange or do all this stuff too. So it's very social. And it, the nice thing about it is it, it's not um, talent-based. You know, if you do a drawing or painting, it's very c- comparative. Like people always say, oh, my drawing's not as good as that other person or that kind of thing. But you can't really go wrong with the collage. Like it's hard to say one is better than the other. They all have different meanings too. So mm-hmm.
0: it's very kind
1: of democratic and very like uh, non-competitive. Mm-hmm.
0: Accessible to anybody who wants to
1: so, try it. Yeah, accessible and fun. So yeah. I encourage everyone to make a collage today. That's awesome.
0: Okay, I'm going to make one. And I'm also going to include, um, we'll do a little write up that goes along with this podcast. I'll include your Instagram. So people, if they want to check you out, um, can see more of your work. Well, I'm super grateful that you um, stepped onto the first step today, Greg, and maybe you'll inspire somebody to explore their creative nature, or maybe even try yoga, despite them feeling intimidated at first. So thank you very much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Jill. I appreciate it.
0: Okay. Have a great day.
1: You too.